Thank you for downloading the PR Week, PR Week's weekly podcast. For more podcasts as well as breaking news, visit PRWeek.com. Hello and welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the world of PR and communications. My name is Steve Barrett. I'm the editorial director of PR Week, going to guide you through the next uh, 35 minutes as we do another show from lockdown. So uh, getting very used to this now and very practiced at it. We have uh, my co-host with me, Frank Washkook, who's speaking from another part of Brooklyn. How are you doing, Frank? I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me on, Steve. Yeah, it's always a pleasure. And really delighted to have our guest this week, Ed Schuyler, who's EVP of Global Public Affairs at City. Ed, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Great. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. We're doing well. We've, uh, you know, three and a half months into lockdown. It's um, starting to be a bit wearing, but we're very lucky that we can do our jobs from home and that uh, the team's producing great content. And uh, we'll talk about some of that content with Frank after we've interviewed Ed. We're going to talk about Barry Rafferty, the CEO of Ketchum, who's swapping her role for a client-side gig at Wells Fargo. We'll talk about Andy Main, who's become the top global uh, CEO at Ogilvy. And Next 15 Group has uh, weathered the COVID-19 storm pretty well, judging by a statement it made today. And they're actually going to be looking at B Corp status, which is interesting. We'll talk about the Facebook ad boycotts that have been uh, spreading and some of the brands that have been weighing in on that. And we'll talk about diversity and why PR firms haven't yet hit the mark with their numbers um, based on some data and some big analysis that we produced um, last week. So uh, looking forward to chatting about those. But let's start with you, Ed. How's your lockdown experience been and um, what's a, where have you spent it personally and how has it been f- um, for a big company like City and uh, making sure your staffers are prospering but also uh, working effectively? Well, it's been it's been an adjustment, uh, to put it mildly. But I think the pleasant surprise out of it uh, has been how well we've been able to keep the bank running despite working, you know, remotely. And for example, we just look at some of our operations, our trading operation, North America, 98% of them are working remotely and vast majority of them are from home. And that was never really a scenario that we'd ever envisioned. We would have envisioned some remotely, some at backup sites. In this case, almost all of them are working remotely. Um, and I think that we've been able to serve our clients and our customers remarkably well and remain open for business despite, uh, this really unprecedented, at least in modern times challenge. I think one of the reasons for that is with our large presence in Asia, we were able to take some of the best practices that we learned there and apply them. So by the time this traveled, east and hit the u.s i think we were well prepared with the with the operational um, changes we needed to make Uh, but it is you know it's an adjustment Uh, i think there's some assumptions that we've learned that aren't necessarily true one of them being that people will think that they're going to work less because they're at home but the reality is you sort of plug in almost as soon as you wake up and you wind up sort of staying plugged in and drifting back into wherever your laptop is set up and finishing something off 
in a way you might not do if you're just on your phone or something. So it has made work, you know, work is always sort of following you around these days. Um, you know, we used to call the Blackberries the electronic leash and especially in our business, it's all about rapid response. I think even more so the comp, the sort of melding your home into work into one space uh, definitely creates for less separation. Um, and obviously the demands of this time have been pretty unprecedented in, in, in themselves. Yeah, I think we all feel that. And uh, the working day seems to sort of go on. No, although we don't necessarily miss the commute, especially in New York and on the subway, etc. But uh, it, it's the sheer scale of it with a company like City, though, isn't it? Even down to things like bandwidth issues and having all those people all of a sudden, you know, accessing the network in a different way. And I guess internal communications must have been a big priority during this time. Tell, tell us a bit about how You've handled that as a comms team and how you work with your senior executives and CEO to to uh, navigate that. Well, yeah, you're uh, happy to. And I think the leading to your question on the tech is really important because we rely on all our digital channels to communicate with our people internally. And if your network is down or people can't log on, then they're not going to get the information you're trying to provide. One of the things we did before um, the crisis you know, truly hit uh, globally was we we asked everybody uh, in the company to log on on a Sunday afternoon at the same time so that we could test the network. And the network performed pretty well. And while we've done upgrades since then and we continue to do more, you know, our capacity is we've had over 150,000 people simultaneously logging in remotely, in addition to people on their phones and their iPads, but literally, you know, logging in through the system, through the cloud. So we've... Um, we've been able to get through the tech challenges pretty well. What we found uh, with COVID was while sometimes, you know, we'd find employees might tune out some of the internal messaging, that there's been almost an insatiable demand for information on this. And we quickly set up on our internal site at information center so that we would have one-stop shopping so people could get all the information they, they needed. And, we also just found there were key messages that needed to be repeated and we just started almost including them in everything. And so such as if you're not feeling well, please don't come into work. Uh, and we really found that the combination of emails and videos and town halls, while town halls look a little bit different when they're on zoom, that people were engaging, that they were watching them live. They were watching the replays. They were sending in questions so the internal team um, has really stepped up and delivered and um, and we've used, you know, all of our of Mike's executive management team has been involved, whether it's talking, you know, um, you know, doing regional town halls or product or function, or, um, you know, town halls, uh, distinct messaging to the to those communities as well. Everybody has really. Um, embrace the need to communicate with our um, with our uh, with our people, and we've really seen. I think our uh, from the feedback we got, our people really appreciate it. It's not just something that HR sees as their responsibility; it's everybody's seeing it as their responsibility. And people wanting to always, you know, hear from their manager, um, and us giving our manager toolkits, our managers toolkits, so they could use. They would have you know, accurate and consistent information. So it's been, it's been, you know, running on a treadmill flat out for 
a couple of months now, and I'm I'm proud of the way the team has handled it. Yeah, it's um, I mean, le- people want leadership at this time, don't they? And leadership really is defined by communications at, at the moment, and it just proves how important communications and the communications function is within that. It's the one sort of incident that stands out as something you thought, well, that that went really well. That was a great piece of PR, and then maybe something that didn't go quite as well as you thought it would, or that you that you learned from. I think for us, um, our overarching message has been flat out that your health and safety and your family's health and safety is our number one priority. And we are not going to do anything and put you in a position, ask you to put you in a position that is going to, going to threaten that. And that's been something we've hammered home, you know, from the beginning. And I think we've then been able to show, you know, we've, we've made some, we call them gestures or taken some actions that um, that uh, you know, show we meant what we were talking about. For example, uh, you know, right around the end of May, we asked everybody to take a day off, so for your own, you know, mental well-being. It's been hard. We know a lot of you are handling things such as you know homeschooling and, ba- and balancing you know work with that. We want you just to take a day off and, and spend time and um, and did a global day off, you know, for the whole company. Uh, we also for some of our employees that are on the lower end of the pay scale, uh, given the economic hardship a lot of people were going through, we made, gave a special $1,000 grant so that they would have you know, money to buy, whether it was masks and gloves for personal use or, um, or, or to just, you know, get through the, the month's bill. So I think we really tried to mix, you know, messages in action and balance, um, and balance them. And it's been, I think, uh, we feel good about it, but, you know, this is, I don't know whether we're in the second inning or the third inning of this thing, yeah, or we're on the eighth point. or the ninth. I mean, that that's clear. So we got to, we got to stick. I keep reinforced with my team, you know, we're in a marathon here. I know we're running flat out, but we got to all pace ourselves because this is going to go on for a while and our company needs us. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, how do you think this is going to change things moving forward? And what do you think, given your global reach, what, when do you think we are going to get back to whatever the new normal is? But that's a really good point uh, on the spikes. I mean, in New York, I guess we're feeling a little bit, and New Jersey and Connecticut feeling a little bit more comfortable about things, but then other parts of the country are seeing real spikes. So it's uh, it's a, both a national and an international thing here. So do you think it's going to fundamentally change the attitude to work at City in terms of, you know, your physical environments and maybe uh, it's, You've proven that work from home can work and, and that might be a bit more of a part of the operation. I mean, you are a regulated and, and business, so there's all those elements to it as well. What, what are your views on that? Yeah, so I think that, um, I think, as I said, we're pleasantly surprised with how well we've been able to do. Um, but we all, you know, a lot of us want to get back to the office. We want to get back to a safe office. We want to get back to an office that um, has the right protocols and we're working through all that. Uh, again, borrowing some of the, um, the 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 work that's been done in Asia, but ultimately we want to get back to a place where we are, you know, we are going to work, um, and we also look at it. You know, we've got a couple thousand sites around the world. It's hitting every place differently. A couple of months ago, you know, there was no thought about coming into work in New York City, but if you were in Florida and Jacksonville, one of at our consumer operations center, there wouldn't have been much of an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but now you, but now it's totally flipped. Now Florida's a hot spot in New York. You know, the testing rate is uh, positive rate is under 1% and the healthcare system is, um, is in, is in good shape and uh, has capacity. Look at Texas, you know, similar story. They're on, they're going through a really challenging time a challenging time when we saw, you know, in New York and Connecticut, New Jersey. So, you know, we have to have principles and then we have to be able to be fle- you know, flexible and really take each location case by case based on a variety of factors um, and then make decisions about who we're asking to come in and when. And so it's certainly not going to be one size fits all and it's not going to be small, medium or extra large. It's going to be a variation really depending on you know, where you are and, and what the job is. Yeah, for sure. And then, of course, on top of that, over the re- recent weeks, we've had the whole racial injustice uh, incidents. Um, how has City responded to that as a, as a massive social occurrence? And also, uh, it was interesting to see Mark Mason, your CFO, who's a black man, coming out and speaking publicly about George Floyd's death. Tell us about the communications decisions around that and how you handled that. So, you know, Mark... Um... Mark uh, thought, spent some time thinking about if he wanted to say something. And, you know, he talks very compellingly about how his family really encouraged him that he had an obligation to say something. And he um, wrote something and he sent it to Mike and I and our head of HR. And he warned us that this was going to be, that this was raw. And, and we read it and we said, you know, Mark, if you're comfortable um, you're comfortable saying this and we will absolutely post it on our blog. And, and, uh, and I would encourage people to, to read through it. it. It was, it's an emotional, it's an emotional statement and it's personal. And I think it was important for, um, uh, for us to give him that platform. And I think it was important for him as a, as a black professional um, to, to say what was on his mind and say how he felt, especially given his leadership role. And unfortunately, given how few there are in our, in our industry like him, but then, you know, he was very clear and we were very clear is that words, you know, are not enough. Uh, so we, um, a couple of, uh, a couple of days after the, uh, his blog post, we had a global, you know, town hall, where Mark spoke, where Mike Corbett spoke, where I had diversity spoke, a couple of the uh, our black professionals spoke, and we had Mary Frances Winters and equity inclusion strategists, you know, join us. And then we talked about some of the steps, you know, had a conversation about race in the workplace. And then we had, we announced a couple of steps, one of them, $10 million financial contributions to organizations that support um, and uh, expanding opportunity and addressing inequality. Um, such as the NAACP Legal Defense Fund and the Urban League. And then we also uh, announced a donation and employee matching co- campaign to help a couple of other organizations, such as Management Leadership for Tomorrow and UNCF. So, and we talked about a couple of other things we're going to do in order to step up recruiting and some other of our philanthropic programs, trying to make them more focused on, um, on this issue. And I think, and, you know, and there's going to have to be more. This is not like a one or done thing. I think one thing that Mike Corbett said in his opening of that town hall that I found, you know, powerful and thinking about is he had spent a lot of his life, professional life, not, you know, basically trying to be colorblind. 
and not take you know race into account. And that looking back on it, he wonders whether that's actually the right approach. So that we should be thinking about it more and making decisions, you know, and not trying to like filter these things out, but really think about them and and um, do all be sort of more focused on on uh, on the inequality that that sort of you know pervades our country. So I think it was a start, and I think that there's going to be more to come. But I think the fact that the leadership of the company is behind it um, is important. Yeah, it was good to see that. And I think people want that sort of authenticity at the moment. And they also want to see, obviously, I want to see more diverse uh, faces in the, at the top of big organizations. So it's good when uh, good to see people like Mark speaking out like that. Um, Good to chat to you, Ed. We'll chat to you more later and we'll chat, We'll bring in the City Impact Fund because that's uh, relevant to one of our stories. But let's catch up on some of the big stories this week, Frank. Uh, plenty of them. Talk to us about Barry Rafferty, CEO of Ketchum, who has slightly surprisingly stepped down to take on a, an in-house client role. That's right. She's uh, moving over to lead communications at Wells Fargo, which, of course, has a lot of reputational challenges for that massive uh, fake account building scandal that went on there from uh, 2002 to 2016. So uh, filling in for her uh, leading Ketchum is going to be Mike Doyle, uh, who's going to be president and CEO. He's reporting up to John Doolittle, who, of course, is the interim CEO of Omnicom Public Relations Group. Uh, The holding company is still looking for a full-time replacement for Karen Van Bergen, who left at the beginning of the year. So uh, a lot of eyes on Mike to see what kind of stamp he is going to put on Ketchum going forward. Yeah, Karen Barry was one of the first uh, women to take the helm at a top five PR firm. So it's a shame to see her going away, but uh, a very challenging role ahead of her. Ed, you didn't fancy that role at Wells Fargo? New challenge? I, I feel like I've um, got enough challenge where I am. You know, I, when I joined City, we were, uh, you know, the government owned 25 percent of the company. So, um, you know, I've, uh, I've been been through that type of thing. And, you know, I think that you know, Wells is a strong institution. And just like we got through our challenges and other banks have gone through their challenges, they'll get through theirs. Yeah, for sure. Actually, you were the you used to work in the mayor's office, didn't you? you City bikes is sort of uh, partly down to you, is it not? In the- yeah, so the, yeah. Our um, our, our we have uh, and and one of the fun things about public affairs, you know, the team that I'm, I'm proud to lead is we really are with the reputation function, and one of the components that we have, in addition to government relations and communications, and our uh, community investing work, is we have our um, in our sustainability ESG, we have our brand and sponsorship team, which is you know, uh, led the city bike relationship, which was a fun one to, um, because it's really transformed the way New Yorkers have gotten around. Um, and you know, when you think about the, the, uh, especially at the moment, because we don't want to get on the subway. Yeah. And yeah, we've actually been giving away memberships, to frontline workers, but it really has become part of the fabric of, of New York city. So it's been a real fun thing to be engaged with. Yeah, for sure. Frank, Andy Main, another big uh, agency story. Um, John Seifert has stepped down from Ogilvy after 41 years in, in the company, in the WPP firm. And Andy Main has come in to take over and an interesting choice to take that top job. He really is. He could uh, 
he, you could call him the main man uh, at Ogilvy. Yeah. I'll, I'll wait for everybody's applause there. Uh, yes, well done. So, you, haven't, um, you haven't lost it, have you? I'll be here all week. So, uh, but it, one of the most interesting things about this appointment is that um, he's coming over from Deloitte Digital. And, you know, the, the big holding companies especially spent so much time over the past couple of years saying that, you know, the, the threat from the big consultancies, uh, it was so overblown and, and we're confident in the way we do things. Um, and so you have two cases recently uh, where you have the new CEO of Porter Novelli coming over from a consultancy and now you have Maine. Uh, going into Ogilvy from a consultancy. So um, it's a, it's an interesting hire, I think, when you think about all of that. So he was at Deloitte Digital, where he'd been a global uh, exec since 2014. He'd worked at Anderson Consulting. Uh, he worked in their high-tech practice. Ogilvy is in an interesting spot. Since you know 2017, they started combining into one P&L, bringing all of the sub-agencies under the Ogilvy brand, saying goodbye to things like um, Ogilvy One and Ogilvy PR uh, and things like that. So yeah, I, it, it will be. We'll be looking to see if he is going to put more of a consultancy-ish stamp on the place, or uh, or what direction he takes it in. Yeah, that is interesting. Two consultants, one from Deloitte, one from McKinsey, coming in to take over at the top of top ten PR firms. One at Porter Novelli, one at Ogilvy, um, and uh, that that's an interesting development, I think. Ed, in terms of you using PR agencies, what are you looking for from your agency partners these days? And does, is that really not a surprise that you're getting more of these consultancy types coming into the leadership of the top firms? Well, I mean, for us, we have a really, you know, we've got a team that goes through, um, you know, we're, we have an on the ground presence in a hundred countries. So I really feel that with the resources we have at our disposal, we should be doing the blocking, the tackling and the messaging um, you know, within our team where I look for agency support is, you know, when we get into maybe a situation that we haven't dealt with before, um, then that's sometimes where we will say, um, you know, maybe we could, you know, could benefit from that type of insight and that type of experience. If it's something we haven't, you know, been through ourselves, or if there's something that's particularly high pressure, that we want to get an outside set of eyes to make sure we're just not sort of, you know, enjoying our own cooking. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of capable people out there. So I'm not surprised you know, to see them coming in, you know, coming in house. I would encourage more than to do it. Come on in. The water's warm. Yeah. Yeah. So the senior council and the more consultancy type services are probably where you're looking for support and the boots on the ground stuff is more uh, to being done in house. So that would, that would dovetail with the agencies ramping up their, uh, that, that, that area of their business. So, yeah, interesting. Um, Frank, Next15 Group is, uh, has put out a statement, a trading statement. It sounds like they've done okay during the COVID-19 period. And, uh, of course, they have firms like Embooth, um, Outcast. What's the, what's the name of the Tex100 bike Archetype. Archetype. Yeah, got it. I forgot that. So tell us about their statement. And also the interesting part for me was they are talking about seeking B Corp status. Yeah. So um, there's a lot of optimism, I think, that's going to be taken uh, from the next 15 results because, you know, this is according to their statement. They say that despite the impact of COVID-19 on the marketing industry, they expect to have even modest growth for the first half of their financial year. 
uh, at both the revenue and profit levels. And that's that's in stark contrast to what a lot of the major holding companies have been saying. So it's important to note, though, that their holding co- uh, that their fiscal year starts on February 1st. Um, so they are still they still have a ways to go before they wrap up the first half of the year. But they see the balance sheet remains strong. Net debt currently at around five million pounds, and and they seem very happy with um, with the way this is going. Obviously, noting the challenges uh, from COVID nineteen throughout throughout this earnings statement. So, to your second point about B Corp status, yeah, that is really interesting. Um, our story from our colleagues in London also notes that Mullen Low uh, is a B Corp, um, and what yeah, that I didn't is, know. I'm honest, I didn't know that. That was interesting. I didn't know that either. Um, but what that means uh, for people who aren't familiar with the term B Corp is that uh, essentially you have to live up to certain verified standards that say you're performing as a company up to uh, thresholds of like social and an environmental performance and public transparency. Uh, and all of that has to have a certain amount of accountability tied to it. You have to be able to prove you're doing all of these things. Um, so, you know, that's that's interesting. That's that's really interesting. And and be, we'll look to see if any other holding companies would, would follow that lead. And I'm curious, what would be holding them back uh, from, from following the lead on something like that? It's not like, you know, creative marketing holding companies have a lot of factories or things like that so i'd be interested to see if others follow yeah so will i ed um obviously purpose in business is a big topic and the business roundtable made that statement last year which i think citibank signed putting a more level footing with shareholder value in the way you do business now i'm probably guessing that City isn't going to become a uh, B Corp anytime soon. But you have done things like launch your impact fund. Talk a little bit about that and then and, and in the context of this move to be more purposeful as business generally um, out there. Sure. So um, as part of our public affairs team, we have a variety of community investment work that we do. Um, a lot of it is philanthropic. Um, so we're giving grants to nonprofits. Like we have a program called Pathways to Progress, where we have, try to help young, uh, low-income, um, young adults get employment opportunities. We do community investment grants, just you know, to help small businesses and help people do tax prep and that type of thing. We also do some lending, uh, mainly through whether it's microfinance and working with the businesses to create lending products for entrepreneurs in emerging markets. But what we didn't do and we didn't have with that portfolio is we didn't have equity investing. So we uh, you know, went to the CEO, uh, you know, Mike Corbett, our CEO, and Mark Mason, our CFO, and said this is, a, you know, a powerful tool that we could use to, um, to push our mission as a company about economic progress and growth um, and add this tool to the community impact and investing organization complementing the lending and the uh, philanthropy and we got you know buy-in to establish the 150 million dollar fund and we announced it earlier in the year and we're focusing on things like workforce develop companies that are for, um, focused on workforce development we're focused on sustainability we're focused on uh, organizations that are trying to solve problems in their communities it could be healthcare, and then we're going to be focusing and expanding the fund um, to focus specifically on black uh, entrepreneurs, and we'll have more to say on that. Um, and even before that, 
we uh, had said said that all the seed investments we're going to be doing will be exclusively for MWB companies, minority and black women owned enterprises. So, and, you know, to, to the, the statement of purpose from the round table, you know, that had been our approach really since the crisis where we look at all our stakeholders, our, um, our shareholders, our regulators, our colleagues, our clients, our customers. And we really try to approach things um, to the lens of appealing to all of them and not and uh, recognizing that we have a license to do business uh, essentially granted by um, the government and we need to main tr- maintain trust in order to do that. So it comes quite naturally to us to sign on to that same which our CEO Mike Corbett did. And, you know, if you look at things like the Edelman Trust Barometer and other metrics, I mean, People actually trust corporations. People that work at companies actually trust their CEO in a lot of cases more than government officials. So and I think that's because a lot of companies have adopted this, this way of thinking. Yeah, we definitely need some leadership and business has a role to play in that for sure. I think uh, with the business around table, I think people, just like with the race debate, people want to see action. They want the words to turn into action. So statements are nice, but doing stuff is even better. Just one question on the City Impact Fund. It says... You invest in double bottom line private sector companies. Just for my ignorance, uh, what's a double bottom line company? So think of it as um, profits plus purpose. So the first double line is they got to make money. They're a private sector enterprise. We're not trying to destroy our shareholders' capitals. We want to make you know investments that are going to be creative. But we want to make investments in companies that are trying to solve problems and you know solve some challenges facing communities. So the second bottom line is really about community impact. Um, right. So that's that's where the term comes from. So if they were B Corps, would you be more likely to invest? I mean, obviously you can't make... Uh, it, it depends what their business model is and what they're trying to, trying to do. Yeah. Okay, Frank, uh, let's talk about Facebook. They've had, uh, well, lots of challenges over the past uh, couple of years, and we've uh, highlighted them with Nick Clegg, their head of communications, coming in from British politics to try and change the communication strategy there. But the one at the moment is ad boycotts, and that seems to be picking up some steam. So tell us a bit about that. It does. And, I, you know, it's a, it's a challenge, but I think I would argue, too, it's kind of a, a self-inflicted challenge as well for Facebook. So in this case, you have a lot of different uh, companies responding to the, uh, to the network's lax attitude when it comes to hate speech, lax attitude when it comes to incorrect, inaccurate political speech and, and those types of ads. Um, so just this week, the ad agency Goodby Silverstein, which is an Omnicom firm, uh, that said that it's joining the Stop Hate for Profit campaign. So their clients uh, are some big names, BMW, HP, PayPal, Pepsi, Doritos, um, a, a lot of big companies. And this is one that I think will really catch people's eye today is that uh, Mark Pritchard over at Procter Gamble uh, has, he has not shot down the idea of joining the boycott campaign on Facebook as well, which I think is something that will get people's attention because when Procter and Gamble says something about, you know, their marketing budget or where they might pull spend their put spend, I mean, it gets everybody's attention, you know, in the, in the creative world, in the marketing tech world and, and in the communications world as well. Okay, Frank, let's finish on diversity. Um, massive topic at the moment. And we did some, um, analysis of 
diversity numbers at PR firms, especially the top uh, 15 in the US uh, last Friday. And frankly, didn't make great reading, did it? So uh, talk us through that and the response to the content that we did. It shows that there's still a lot of work that has to be done in terms of diversifying the workforces of PR firms. Now, they have done well and they have done better um, to make their workforces more diverse at the lower and mid levels. But if you look at the highest levels of agencies, it's clear that there still needs to be a lot of work done. Um, and, you know, LeGrand Foundation CEO Kim Hunter, you know, it, it points out that it's there's such a dearth of uh, black male executives reporting directly to the CEOs at the top firms. And when he puts it like that, it's almost hard to believe, but it's true. Now, what I think is different this time, uh, as opposed to, you know, other times that diversity has been a hot topic, I think that this time we're at a point where uh, staffers and clients of all different colors are going to be holding agencies accountable if they don't follow through on this. And I think that you only have to look at the all different types of people that are involved in the protest movement, and the marches and things like that to show that this is a topic that's appealed to a lot of different people. Uh, and if the agencies, I think, in this case, don't follow through, they're going to hear about it from a wide range of their workforces. Yeah, it was uh, very telling, some of the quotes in the analysis that Thomas Moore put together, which was a very nice piece and well done by Thomas, that, that I think they they do recognize it. The leaders recognize they haven't done enough and that they're not making enough progress and that they've got to do better and they've got to move beyond words. Um, you know, it comes up every few years and nothing seems to move forward. So the the PR marketing and other industries had, do have to do better, as does the uh, journalism industry and PR Week and Haymarket and all other companies. You know, we have to do better from a diversity point of view, especially at the upper levels so that you have faces that people can relate to in the senior levels of management. Uh, otherwise, they tend to drift away. And um, and um, I think that's important. Ed, just to finish, I mean, do you think having Mark Mason as a great role model at City has helped people just look and see, well, you know, we can we can make it to the top levels of the company. And, and it's important to see faces that look like mine or theirs um, in, in jobs like that. I think it, it is, but I think, you know, there's, um, there's still a lot of work to be done and you, you need to have representation throughout. And it's great that we have, a you know, Mark Mason um, as a CFO and one of the leaders of the company, but it, you know, it, uh, we really need, and we have announced goals and that we want to see hit as far as representation, but it's gotta be, um, it's gotta be more distributed. It has to go up to the senior ranks. Um, we just announced, uh, today, um, we're very proud of, um, the hire for our global consumer banking um, organization, TD Cole, is joining us from Wells. She's going to oversee all of our consumer operations and, and fraud prevention for the company. And so, you know, it's uh, so I think that's another, um, uh, the, the, you know, that's another, you know, leadership position. Um, and that'll, that's uh, being well received internally, but it's got to, 
it's really got to be embedded throughout the organization. It's good to have people at the top, but you need people at all levels of the organization. Yeah, for sure. No, it's good to see those senior hires. Um, I mean, one holding company, Omnicom, doesn't even release its uh, overall diversity numbers, which I find slightly incredible in this day and age. But, um, yeah, it's, it's well worth checking out that content. So do um, do have a look at that. Ed, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure to chat to you and um, continued uh, good fortune in coming through this uh, extraordinary time and um, looking forward to seeing what you do next. Thank you to you, Frank, and all PR Week. Thank you, Frank, as well. And, um, yeah, another busy week for us. So uh, thanks for your uh, continued great work and the team. Um, A couple of reminders. We've got our PR Week Awards on the 30th of July. So that's going to be a big virtual event. Look out for details of that. They will be coming soon. PR Decoded, our annual conference, is going to be a virtual event. That takes place on October 14th and 15th, as do the Purpose Awards in the middle of that. So, um, again, we're looking at great formats and great ways to bring you content, convening, networking, and uh, adding value to the experience. Uh, But that's all we've got time for this week. We'll see you next time on the PR Week.